Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive, professionally and personally. Hello and welcome to episode 70 of the Habits of Leadership podcast. My name's Dan Hasler from Cut Through Coaching, and joining me today is Tracy Ezard. Tracy is a keynote speaker, author, and educator. She works with senior leadership teams and whole organizations and systems to create environments of safety and stretch through leadership and collaborative learning cultures. She's the author of three books, Glue, the stuff that binds us together to do extraordinary work, The Buzz, Creating a Thriving and Collaborative Staff Learning Culture, and her latest book, which she joins us to talk about today, is called Ferocious Warmth. Leaders Who Inspire and Transform. It was released in March 2021. I've had a read of it, and I'm really pleased to say that Tracy joins us today. Tracy, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Dan. It's such a pleasure to be here. Your podcast is amazing. So I feel a great privilege to, to be on here. Oh, that's really nice of you to say so. And it's, it's even more amazing now you're on it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Two brownie points already. There we go. You know, look after your guests and the guests will look after you, I reckon. That's, <laughs> the, that's the way we, we roll here. I'm interested, I guess, in, in the work that you do because it's it seems quite aligned to the work we do here in that you work in various sectors in and around um, leadership, but specifically in and around sort of marrying Oh, I guess what you might say, the hard skills of leadership with the what may be referred to as the soft skills of leadership. And that really was the um, yeah the impetus for, for reaching out to you and getting you on the show was your latest book, Ferocious Warmth. And I'm wondering, in a nutshell, can you tell me what ferocious warmth is? <laughs> ferocious warmth is leadership that sees that the role of leadership is about having excellence in both results and relationships, not one over the other, uh, and uh, that the also opening up to the, the really strong evidence that we don't get the best rela- uh, results out of people unless we have those really strong, trusting, psychologically safe relationships where we can innovate, be creative together. Uh, we, we do feel a sense of safety with the people that we work with. So it's about head and heart. It's about being cognitive and emotional. It's about being, you know, tapping into uh, the things that help us co-create with people, but at the same time knowing when to direct. I call it the paradox of yet. It's it's this dance that we do every day where sometimes we need to up up the bar, you know, put down the line a little bit stronger, but we always do it with this really strong element of humanism and the heart is always very much a component of the work that we do. So I sort of see it as this just this dynamic adaptive dance that we do every moment of the day depending on the context. And yeah. so when you're saying those things, um you know, I reckon most people listening to the podcast and, and myself included kind of goes, yeah, yeah, that uh, that all makes sense in the cold light of day, Tracy. Um why is it then that we need to keep hearing it and keep reading it and keep reflecting on it in the heat of the moment? Yeah. And it's really the premise of ferocious warmth. So the the imagery of the main ferocious warmth framework is the infinity symbol of always pulling from the head and the heart to be able to do that balance in the centre. But when we go into default, I think we go into default when we're just not mindful around our leadership or we're incredibly stressed. So I think we've got, if we have unmet need, if we've got lack of connection, we we move out of this centre and 
I don't think we're necessarily, unless we're really attuned with our self-awareness, to um, we're not necessarily sort of touched into what's the impact of my leadership. So we go along doing what we we think we need to do or what we're capable of doing and we don't realise that we can go to the extremes. I call them either the fearsome or the enmeshed leader and the fearsome leader is so head-driven, has to be right, frightens people, doesn't want to have any argument from people uh, and we can close in on that pretty quickly, I think, and go into that old authoritarian leadership style which we know doesn't bring out the best in people. But at the same time, we can also be over the other end and we can be very heart-driven, very relationship-driven, and I call them enmeshed leaders, where we're so heart and relationship-driven that actually we get into drama really easily and the, the relationships become unhealthy. So I think these two extremes, I, I, I don't know about you, but every single group that I've ever worked with in this space over the last 16 years will say to me that they've experienced leadership that is at those levels. And I think we just need to take sometimes a good hard look at ourselves and go, wow, I really am having impact on people that is detrimental, that's making people close down or making people very untrusting of what we're doing or what I'm doing. Um, and my, my ability to get back into balance is where the skill is. So I think we just lose it because we're so busy, we're so overwhelmed, we've got enough complexity in our own lives um, that just stopping and pausing and thinking about what's my impact is, is a really powerful question to ask ourselves. To what extent do you find that people really can find the answer to that question or, or do they need to open up? Because, you know, there's a fair chance I don't really understand the impact I have on other people. Yeah. Um, I might have an idea, I might have a hope of how I'm going to show up and whatnot, but does does this element, you know, this um, ferocious warmth model, does it require us to really open up, for want of a better phrase, to to the people we lead, or, or is this something I can do? In our, can I read your book in isolation and, and go and be ferociously warm? Yeah. Um, look, I, I have a very strong belief that if we want to have really um, – strong cultures of results and relationships in an organisation that we need to be a learning culture and and collective learning culture that we're learning together. The book's got reflective pauses all the way through and there are teams all around um, the place that are actually doing them as uh, a journal club and then having those conversations and finding it really enlightening because I think with leadership we often do not share our growth and our discovery of ourselves and each other. Yet, you know, as a leadership team or with the whole with the whole team to be open about what are my strengths? When do my strengths turn into my shadows? You know, if I'm a super objective strategic leader, I know that when I go too far, I can be aloof. I can make decisions from on high. I can be disconnected. Am I aware of that? I need to be able, unless I've got the self-awareness of a Zen Buddhist monk, um, <laughs> um then my self-awareness is when I'm in those extremes is actually quite low. So I need people around me to have those feedback loops open so that I can help understand when I get out of balance. I think the more and more you do it, you know, I'm sure you've worked with leaders who, you know, they've committed themselves to self-reflect, to write journals about what is it that worked, what didn't, where am I at, why did that person trigger me? Um, it, it is, it's, it's, it's a self-discovery space, but I think as leaders, we've got a responsibility. We lead people. We've got, under, uh, we've got a responsibility to lead um, ourselves first. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we need our colleagues to give us really good intel about what we actually do. 
Yeah, I think it's in Marshall Goldsmith's work where he talks about the best people to decide whether you've improved as a leader or the people you lead. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and it's quite interesting, you know, the the you know the, the the willingness for leaders to go there you know in my experience it's it's not uncommon for leaders to kind of go oh no well, you know I'll keep this to myself <laughs> for the moment and Absolutely. and yet and yet that's the mindset that they're trying to shift in the people they lead so I th- it. it's that classic thing of whatever you expect your people to do mm-hmm. um, you've got to be doing yourself look I, I I do quite a lot of work in schools and I know you do also and it, often it's around how do we create this learning culture in the adults of a school to always be improving, always be growing. And um, if we are not modelling that learner, lead learner mindset, then we're never going to get it from our people. I've got a principal that I work with and, you know, we look at the strengths, ferocious warmth, strengths, head and heart, and then we looked at look at the shadows. And I have, you know, card sets that people use and she puts them out on a table, uh, table every now and again. And when people come in her door, she says, look, and she grabs a strength that she feels that that person exhibits really strongly, but she asks them to pick one for her. And then she talks about what what shadows do you possibly see coming out of that. Now, to me, that is a that is a leader, it doesn't matter what sector you're in, that's willing to say, I, I think I know what my strengths are, but actually I want to get some feedback from others around what other strengths do they want from me? What is it they need from me to be their very best? Because as you say, for Marshall Goldsmith, um, it, it's it's not about what we think, it's about what's the impact and 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 how do people experience us. You, you touched on schools there, you know, and, and trying to fa- create a learning culture in the adults, which is, I guess, kind of ironic given that schools, you'd imagine, uh, <laughs> w- it would be cultures of learning. What What are the different things that, that you've spotted that really can get in the way of building a learning culture, whether it's in a school, which you would think is a learning, you know, culture of learning, or or in a corporate organisation? What, yeah. what gets in the way of, of us getting together and going, hey, how do we improve here and how do we do it in a non-judgmental, you know, detrimental way yeah i i think there's three pillars that we have to work on because they they're not they're not definitely a cert it's one we mentioned before is um you know how do we create the collective growth mindset so you know we know there's a lot of great intel and research around individual growth mindsets and i was talking to someone just uh, half an hour ago around yeah we've got these really high performing people that but get them into the collective and all of a sudden what happens is they go I know all this already Uh, I don't need to change I do it already very successfully Um, uh, what you're talking about is a waste of time and they I call them the leaf blowers they just go (laughs) and they blow all the good ideas off the table and I think that the element that sits there underneath that is um, when I come into the collective I'm not safe to be vulnerable with you to say I don't know because hey I'm usually the expert uh, so that's the the work is we I don't think we put enough time into what's the mindset we want in our team to get the very best out of each other and our collective. So mindsets the uh, a critical piece. Do I see myself as a learner? Do I see my job is to evolve in the skills, but do it with the people that I work with? Um, the next one is I don't think we create a compelling environment for people to come together and learn together, you know. Or we have meetings that have no time in between for people to actually go and do their work um, and the meetings are often go round in circles, rabbit holes, um, and we don't create that that safe, warm environment. So, again, evidence base shows that when we have warmth in an environment, we see each other with trust and with openness. Now, 
I don't know, uh, people listening have probably experienced meetings where icicles are being actually forming on the roof as you're having the meeting because there's some really interesting dynamics in the room that are not conducive to doing it. So I think that that what we bring to the table, I often ask people, you know, if emotions are contagious, which we know they are, what infection are you spreading? Uh, because, you know, that impacts on, you know, the psychological safety that I know you speak about as well, that that I feel safe to have a voice at this table. I feel safe to contribute without fear of being embarrassed or shut down. And I, in, in my work in, in organisations, I'm just, I'm really saddened by the amount of people that feel shut down or they, the, they've got the I'm juster syndrome. Uh, you know, I'm just a newbie or I'm just a graduate or I'm just from sales uh, or I'm just from the drama faculty if they're in, you know, schools. This hierarchy comes in and kills us. So you've got the mindset, the environment, and what's the third the, yeah, one? The third one is the authentic dialogue. So are we talking about the right things? And too often we go straight to the what we're doing. Uh, it's very rare for us, I think, to talk about the quality of the how we're working. And organisations that have gone through cultural transformation realise that talking about the how we do stuff is the key to us doing the what better. So when people push back and say, oh, this is, you know, the soft skills, the fluffy stuff, I ask leaders to just do a bit of a tally on through the day, how much of your time was actually focused on people and people dynamics and the cultural piece and how much was actually the hardware. And it's always that the people piece, unless you've got a really strong, innovative, straight, we're, we're all low-flying performers who work and collaborate together, it's always that the people stuff takes people away from the core business. So get the people stuff right, the core business gets better. How do you um, push back then against organisations or leaders who are kind of going, yeah, Tracy, I hear all this, but as you've just put it, that's not, you know, that's not our core business. What's What are some arguments or, or cases that you've put forward or do you realize well this isn't the people I need to be working with in the first place if, if I uh, have to convince them yeah well I think there's a bit like you know Timothy R Clark I love his four stages of psychological safety and I did a bit of work with him last year you know his his um, terminology is we need an environment of rewarded vulnerability you know if we and if we haven't got that then it's very hard for people to actually shift do things differently and transform and we know from a neuroscience perspective that when we are in fear and we have low safety that our prefrontal cortex is not working at the best it possibly could so I sort of say to leaders you know if you want that that's okay but here are some of the outcomes that will probably happen um, but his some of um, his organization's research really looks at that there are 5% of leaders that really they're right at that extreme of the, what I call the fearsome leaders. He, he calls them actively toxic leaders. They are not coachable. And I think there's a whole range of people that do know. I know that people who feel they're too much heart, they're very open to going, I need a little bit of strategy. I need to lift the bar. I need to connect people more to purpose and have the harder conversations still with that warmth. But I do find more people that are over in that headspace that don't see the relevance of the emotional intelligence, no matter how much evidence base shows that. Um, but I think that that let's not go into a space where I'm not open to it. The second thing that I do that I think is really, it's a conscious convincer, is I will talk uh, with the team or the whole organisation and get people to have conversations around what is it that helps you thrive when you're doing your work in terms of the collaboration and the culture in your in your area, what is it 
that stifles it. It doesn't matter what sector you're working in, the same things come up and it's all about interactions. It's all about being shut down. It's all about behaviours that are not trusting, people that are toxic, people that are um, competitive in a way that sabotages. We can't ignore that our people have said that stuff. So I think if we're leaders that are open to what our people are saying, we'll hear those messages. Which does really um, speak, I guess, to the importance that you've used the phrase there, psychological safety. And I, it's a, it's a, everyone's felt it. Everyone's certainly felt when they don't have it. And yet, how do we create it if it's a little bit lacking? Because there is, there's a, I guess there's an irony addressing psychological safety if there isn't any psychological safety, That's right? It. It's, it's really hard to have an honest conversation if, if there's yeah. no psychological safety. So I'm curious to, in, in the different environments you found yourself in, mm-hmm. what are some ways that you've found to kind of make those first steps into that space, into mm-hmm. those conversations if, you know, people have spent the last, I don't know, five years, 10 years kind of keeping their head down because they're just it's just going to get shot off if you stick it up. Yeah, yeah. Um, the first thing I tend to do with an organisation that might be a, uh, uh, around that is build in time for them, people to actually talk to each other's human beings. Uh, and so, you know, I was working with a team the other day and someone said, oh, I spoke to my resource today. I went, what? <laughs> I spoke to my resource and it was a person. <laughs> so the, the the first thing is, do we feel like we actually belong to into this space together? And do you know who I am? Do you know the skills that I bring in? I, I think we have so much capital that goes down the drain because I haven't taken the time to find out from you what your background is or what your skill skills are. What are the passions that you bring to this? We haven't had that conversation. And so I'll always start with that and even just in pairs people that might work closely together getting them to just have some good random questions that build that intimacy and it is a professional intimacy you know I I think we shy away from that word but I, I talk about in ferocious warmth professional intimacy is I see the humanness in you just as much as the professional worthiness of you and I think that's very powerful but we need to understand that we're all human especially when the vulnerabilities and the complexity that we've lived through over the last couple of years, time and time again with organisations I've worked with, people have come to me and said that that connection piece has been so critical and the the organisations that have built in connection into the work virtually have been able to continue that trust. The ones that have had their cameras off, I just do my work, I send it in, we don't interact they're really struggling, I think, and they're struggling moving back into a hybrid model uh, because that trust and that connection and that psychological safety of belonging, who do we belong to, isn't really there. And so is there more of an emphasis on this kind of stuff now, do you feel? Do you you feel that it took a pandemic for people to actually twig that this stuff is important or, or is it business as usual for a lot of people? They're just saying, hey, how do we get back to what it was like before 2020? Yeah, um, there are some saying, how do we get back to what it's like? I think absolutely. And I think that's a danger because I think we've learned so much over the last two years. And that's a great conversation to have anyway, or two and a half years. Um, I, I do believe there is a, is a real shift because people are understanding how fragile most people are, even if they're not wanting to show it. I can remember working with a, a senior team and, um, they really had, had been so busy with the head down in a project they hadn't had time to connect 
properly. So we were having some conversations around that. And one of them shared, you know, being a remote learning while with their with their children while being online and then their family back in India experiencing loss through COVID. And he had not shared that with his team at all. And whilst I totally get that people want to have privacy, I think when you've got a really strong team, you you understand that your your context and what you've got wrapped around you is a support network as well so that people can just understand where you might be coming from. And I think people are understanding more how important that work is. And I think the teams that are not doing the work around connecting before content, you know, we say that uh, um, I think that's just so critical, connection before content, you know, for for teams. How do we make time? And we do have to make time because it's a priority. Our prefrontal cortex needs connection. We are social beings. Our, we, 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 we want to flood that prefrontal cortex with the great hormones, the neurochemistry that helps us think better, collaborate better and trust each other more to do the work. And that is through human connection, not through looking at a spreadsheet. And we're not talking about, you know, gratuitous oversharing, right? No. We're talking about framing conversations that just get me a better sense of who you are as a person. Absolutely, absolutely. And saying, you know, being able to say, hey, I bring something to the table uh, that might be useful here. So there's a sense of, you know, to do that, often there's a vulnerability to do that. So we come back to that word. I love Brene Brown's work. Her research around courage and vulnerability, around the emotional intelligence is just um, incredibly impactful for leaders. And, you know, that whole sense of if I am to be courageous and we need leadership that's courageous, it's a big part of ferocious warmth, is having the courage to inspire and transform. But to be courageous, we've got to be okay with being a bit vulnerable about getting out of that comfort zone and into that learning space um, to do different things. Because I guess the, the obvious argument there is I don't need to be courageous if there's no vulnerability, right? Yeah. <laughs> if, I'm not, if I'm not feeling exposed or vulnerable then there is no reason to be yeah. courageous so yeah. which is really interesting isn't it because again it comes back to how do I have a learning mindset that always says yeah do I provoke myself do I have provocations on where could I do things differently where is it that our clients our customers or our students or our patients might absolutely need us to do things differently and do we have the courage to step into that space I have not found any organization that's sitting and going no we need to just stay the way we are we don't need to be courageous about anything I, I have no one that I've spoken to is is using that as a reason uh, so I think if when we look at this this cultural work this ferocious warmth work is all about creating the context and the conditions to be brave learners and to constantly be iterating what we do to get the better outcomes that we're after mm. so let's dig into that uh, the ferocious warmth um, model and just You've already mentioned that you know you, you sort of conceptualize it as a as the infinity symbol, and you're drawing on different sides. And sometimes you might be a little, you know, too far the one way, and, and yeah. need to pull yourself back to the center. Yeah. I'm aware of the um, you know the four elements that you um, call upon leaders to reflect on, and one of them we've actually just spent a little time, I guess, there talking about in terms of um, courageous, oh, and, and perhaps connected as well. But yeah. I'm just wondering if we could, we could just go on a bit of a, a deeper deeper exploration of, of those elements because what I'm hopeful for is that someone listening here is going, okay, I'm interested in, you know, 
taking this to the next level. There's an obvious you know moment in time here. People are coming back to the workplace, or work has changed. I've changed. Talk to us a little bit about how the ferocious warmth um, model can give us a, a a fresh way of looking at how we lead our people. Yeah. Um, the the four elements that sort of sit around the outside, I sort of see them as they're, they're almost like this ring of truth that sits around the outside mm. of the infinity symbol, is these are the four things that help you stay balanced. And this, this um, framework really emerged out of 16 years of working with leaders before that being a leader my, myself in my, my, um, my profession. And over the last few years, interviewing leaders uh, and pulling apart the behaviours and the thinking and the beliefs. And these four elements came through really strongly that these were in evidence. The first one is the expansive leader. And we've touched on that a number of times already in our conversation today, which is the expansive leader is the one that's got their head up and they're always looking to challenge their own model of the world. Uh, And so it's about having high challenge, high support for ourselves first and then for others. So, um, you know, how do we seek that provocation? How do we show that we are the lead learner, always willing to be curious, um, asking the questions to work out how to look at things from a different perspective? And we also own what I call the ignorant truth. And our ignorant truth is that's just the stuff I know that I think to be true. But actually it's quite ignorant because there's all this stuff outside my view of the world that I don't know. And so I might read something and all of a sudden I found this little bit of information that expands my truth because all of a sudden I know more. So I think what we can do in in leadership is we can shut down to say this is the way I do it Um, and I'm right. Whereas great collaborative cultures shift that paradigm and say, well, what if I wasn't the most right? What if we could create something together that was a better way of doing things, tapping into the collective genius? So the expansive leader is a lead learner themselves, but they also create a really curious, open learning culture. So that's a critical first one. The next one is connected and it's really the hard work. It's the emotional intelligence that says I connect people in my team to each other and to myself, but I also build strong connection to our purpose and we also connect the work together so the the work is collaborative the work doesn't have those silos the silos are bridged silos are connected um so connection is really that that space of um uh, i see you the professional intimacy we talked about before i see your value i think there's a lot of people in our teams that feel like they haven't been seen for a long time we haven't sat down and just had that one-on-one. I don't know, do you find that too, you know? that? Oh, for sure. I mean, one of the things that we've noticed is, again, whether it's a formal one-on-one, but even just the, the incidental chat, you know, just it haven't happened because for whatever reason, but the Zoom meetings or, or whatever your preferred um, yeah. online meeting platform is, mm. um, you know, just it just became transactional, yeah. right? And, and people would just book, you know, we work with so many different clients who are, you know, if the meeting starts at 10 o'clock, they're, they're not in that room at 5 to 10. No. They're, they're there at 10 yep. at best, 10.01, and then they're bailing as soon as we've finished to jump into another one. And so it's just become that hamster wheel transactional nature. Okay, what can you get me? I can do. And like you mentioned before, you know, sometimes even cameras are off, yep. you know, and it's, yep. it's, it, and, and the other thing, you know, with that is 
uh, well, uh, you know, you you know when someone's eyes aren't tracking the meeting, yes. right? They're, they're, they're they're, reading they're bra- yeah, they're reading an email or they're on eBay or whatever yeah. it might be, and <laughs> and all those things have definitely contributed to that. I'm I'm, I'm interested um, in that piece around connection because in the book, there's there's a line that that stuck with me in it because it's a, it's a variation of something I sometimes throw out um, to particularly to school leaders. Talk talk to me a little bit about the difference between purpose and the outcomes so in 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 the book you probably don't need reminding it because you wrote it yeah. um but you know you, you you draw the distinction between student performance mm. being an outcome yeah. not necessarily the purpose no. of education have i have i put words in your mouth no or is no that- that's precisely that in fact i often will say to school leaders that you know, when I hear people saying, you know, so why is it we're working on this thing? Oh, to improve student outcomes. I actually want to vomit because <laughs> that's okay. not what I was ever in education for. It was mm. to build um, these these incredibly curious people that were able to make an impact on the world through, uh, through education and their own initiative to be able to be, you know, whatever they want to be. So outcomes are simply what's the product that one of the products that happens there's a lot of other outcomes that come when we do that work isn't it uh you know isn't there there's there's the um we can do the hard data outcomes but if we say if we work with in in customer service you know we've got the hard data outcomes of how many sales we do but gee when we've got referrals and people coming back and people talking about us and experiencing great feelings when they work with us all of a sudden things go up. So what is what is the outcome and the purpose? The, the outcome is simply a measure, but the purpose should really, when we get our right purpose, I always say to people, it's great if you can almost go, the the hair stand up on your body, you know. So, yeah. you know, sometimes I will work, I do quite a lot of work in health and, you know, we might talk about, tell, tell me about an initiative, what's the outcome of that? And there'll be all these health bureaucratic words come out and then we go, okay, and so why is that important? And then why is that important? And then why is that important? And then we'll get to the top one that says, uh, because our Indigenous population deserve top quality health care like the rest of Australians. Uh, you know, so that, you know, you can hear where that might have come from, a little program, a, a program that was designed to um, help Indigenous Australians with, you know, a dialysis um, access. Yep. So that might be, that's an outcome if we increase the access, but the purpose is absolutely to increase their health ability and their ability to live in the world so when because that uh, let's just sit with that one for a moment because i think um it's quite a common narrative though right oh we're doing it for the kids it's just for the it's and it's for the outcomes it's it's for this yeah again i'm wondering how when you're faced you know when you (laughs) maybe internally you're going geez i want to vomit here how do you (laughs) um what kind of pushback do you get when you push back on that, I guess, is what I'm interested in. I don't get in. any, which is really funny. I get people okay. having a bit of a giggle and mm. uh, just, uh, yeah, absolutely right. So, which, you know, sounds a bit arrogant, but I think all I'm doing is naming that we get into bureaucracy. We get into our own lexicon around what we're trying to achieve. But when we get to what's the higher purpose, there should always be this, that, that there is something in there that makes the human condition better. And, and when people get that connection, it, it allows leaders to be able to talk about things that people then buy into. You know, how many people, you, they go in and just start an initiative and people have no idea why, no idea why. And so it doesn't align with what they're actually doing because 
they haven't done that. You know, I get people to do a strategy compass where we don't go to what are we going to do first? We go, what's the why? What's the evidence base that suggests this why is so important? And what are the beliefs that we hold? So it's head and heart again. What's the hard data? And then what is the driving beliefs and values that that make this the why so important? And when we do that work, I, I find people buy in hugely because it allows them to go, this was such an important conversation for us to have before we launch on doing whatever program or initiative we're looking at. The last two um, of the four elements that uh, make up this the, the, the model mm. is courageous and authentic. Mm. Talk, obviously, we spent a little time talking about courageous, yeah. but I'm also... I'm, I'm sure there's there's more as well. Yeah. So yeah. talk to us a little bit about those two elements as well. Yeah, so for courageous for me, I think we, we can look at big picture courageous, you know, uh, in, in a lot of the organisations and sectors that you and I both work in, the need to be courageous and really change the paradigm is huge uh, and, and really upend things and do things differently and seize the day. So many uh, sectors have, have really had to morph so much through the pandemic that, that if we don't shift... We are going to lose people that go, I'm going over here because they're doing it a different way uh, that is far more conducive to the life that I want to have. And so if we've got to be courageous around giving those things a go and not bouncing and doing the old snapback uh, to the way we used to do it. But I also think there's, for every leader, every person I think that works, there's a, what's my, what's my own internal courage? Is it actually going and having that conversation with my line manager, my leader about something that's concerning me? Is it the conversation I've been avoiding? Because I've got so much empathy for people in my team that there's stuff that I've let slide. So I would say, you know, that's people that are really relationship driven, very heart driven. Sometimes we can avoid those conversations because we fear that people aren't going to like us, um, that there'll be ramifications rather than actually having the courage to say, actually, my role here is to step in and have this conversation. So I think courage is on many, many levels. For some of us, courage is getting out of bed in the morning and not sitting in the car outside work and going, I don't want to go in or I don't want to turn on my camera. And so the courage might be I need to be courageous about reshifting what I'm doing in my life to make sure that I'm in in the most well space I can be. I think courage comes in so many forms, but our ability to to step out and go, what do I need to do to shift? even asking that question is courageous, I think. Which leads then to authenticity. Yeah, which, mm. you know, and for me authenticity is I I have, I know that I am always a work in progress. So I think sometimes people can use authentic as a little bit of a shield. Well, I was just being authentically me, you know. Mm. When I ask people, you know, in, in teams, what is it that, what sort of conversations do you want to have? Open and honest come up probably the two first words. And sometimes I like to push back and I say, can I be provocative and say, I know we asked for that, but I actually don't think we want that. What we want to do is have sugar-coated stuff or we, we, we only want people to give us open and honest if it's in a way that we want to hear. Um, and so um, I think that we, if, if we bring our real self to the table, sometimes our real self is not all that great. <laughs> mm. But if I bring my real self and I say, you know, I'm not travelling so great at the moment or at the moment I'm really frustrated about something. Uh, so 
this is what I'm going to do to shift it or just bear with me while I just get some things off my chest and then we'll move on. You know, that whole uh, my authenticness is I always try to bring my best self to the table and work on my real self. I think, you know, we, we put armour around us as we grow, don't we, from when we're little kids. And I think the, the work of great leaders who are really expansive leaders is to peel back the armour so that we can be that great balanced leader who, who can put out the energy that helps people, um, doesn't hinder people. So an authenticity for me is also really about how do we move from a power over to a power with and, and understand that um, stepping into collaborating with people, we're actually going to get better outcomes. doesn't mean we don't direct when we need to direct. That's the ferocious warmth adaptability. But asking people to come in and co-create is so powerful, and I think power with allows us to do that. So in your, in your book, there's heaps of case studies of, of leaders who have, you know, I don't think it's too strong a th- word to say, you know, they've turned places around. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm thinking of a couple of just off the top of my head of, of, of a school leader after a, a you know a, a fairly uh, damaging review. Um, you know, and was able uh, not 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 in a quick fix, not in a you know a, a wave of magic wand kind of way, but was able to really work with that community and, and and turn it around. I'm wondering if you've got any insights as to what the great leaders do when they need to turn something around whether they've inherited you know they've been promoted into the position and and they want to change things or they've been parachuted into a position to, mm. to, to change things what have you seen great leaders do you know in in order to to make those first steps and then stay the course yeah um i, I think it's where ferocious one first got inspired by i saw a great leader who came in after seven leaders in a very short period of time and uh, the, again, it was her balance when I watched her work. It was her balance of really deeply connecting to people and hearing their story. So, um, you know, having those one-on-ones uh, to find out, so where are you at? Who are you? Uh, and this is who I am. And creating that, that personal connection that's still professional um, that, that starts to build that loyalty that says I'm listening. So I'm not telling you what I'm doing is I'm really deeply listening. And what we know is when we shift the power of the listening in a culture, we shift the culture. So the ability to deeply listen to each other without judgment but with curiosity and with just just letting that information come into us allows people to feel a bit safer around not being judged. Um, I've seen leaders that come in and have tried to do that and what they've tried to do is straight away tell the person what needs to happen. And so it's almost like that invalidates anything that has been said by that person. So going in and doing that really deep connection to everyone possible that you can do, being visible, asking curious questions um, that are said in a way that has a tonality of I'm really interested in that, tell me more about that, rather than, well, why do you do it like that? I think we underestimate the power of our tonality. Um, so doing that as well as talking with people around where do you think the shift needs to be in this or what is it that's really working with this? And we're asking strategic questions that start to shape up where you feel people are and where the leverage is. Um, and I think that the other thing that that I really noticed in this leader was her ability to just always encourage people to lift the bar. And absolutely um, encourage them to be better at what they do. And I was just reading, uh, um, rereading Encouraging the Heart 
by Kuzas and Posner, which is just such a great book. And they talk about the research that shows that when we believe that people can actually be something, they step into it, the Pygmalion effect. Uh, and, you know, I think in, in, in toxic cultures, leaders often will talk people down. Where toxic cultures are getting shifted, the leaders will see the strengths in people and try to bring those out. Um, and, you know, courage and kindness is what I say really needs to happen in those spaces of turnaround of you've also got to have the line of what's acceptable behaviour and what's not and be prepared to hold the line around that. Um, mm. And that's a critical thing to weed out the sabotaging or um, underperformance that's going on. Because in you know, in, in some environments it's easier to for want of a better phrase, move people on. Yes. <laughs> so if they're not buying in, it's, you know, for whatever, it's, it's easier to move people on. In in education particularly, it's not as easy. And I'm certainly not saying that that should be our first port of call, but I am interested in the, the that intractable member of, of the team that's mm-hmm. just, what, what and, and, you know, whatever we want to put around it, their unmet needs, their trauma that they've brought here, but for whatever reason, they're just not buying in. Yeah. Or, or, and maybe there's a little coalition of the unwilling around them as well. I'm wondering what advice do you give to leaders? Because I've heard all manner of advice from either, oh no, you really need to, you really need to get them on board, right through to just ignore them. Um, I'm, again, and, and I'm wondering if that, that in itself could be an example of getting out of kilter yes. with the ferocious warm yes. model, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested in how do you help a leader maintain their sanity <laughs> when 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 they're putting their heart and soul and and, the, and everything they've got into trying to move this, and people seem to be going with it, but then there's just this sticking yeah. point. I, I was actually having a phone conversation with a leader about this the other day because uh, we had done some initial work around ferocious warmth at the start of the year. And um, so had, they had the languaging around this. And then she has uh, one person on the leadership team that is it feels like actively sabotaging. Um, and uh, to her credit, what she's doing is I need to pull from my ferocity but also do it with warmth uh, of getting this person in and being really clear on what we had agreed to in terms of commitments and what she can see in evidence. So I think it comes down to the coachability of that person. I I absolutely believe that there are sometimes people who the best thing for them is to move on. You know that, and and so I have seen great ferocious warmth leaders that have had that conversation with people that has created um, uh, this opening for people to say, "Do you feel comfortable? Do you feel that you're able to give what you need?" Because what I notice is this. And actually talk a, a little bit around the unhappiness perhaps that person might be experiencing. Um, and so, again, it comes down to how connected um, are you with this person that you can actually open up that conversation. And I think they're the people that you can either shift around because you go, okay, what support do you need to do this work? Because usually sitting underneath that is fear for that person, you know, or the coalition of the unwilling, the fear of change. Um, so um, I think for uh, some people we um, we can say too hard, shut down. But I think what ferocious warmth leaders do is that I'm going to give you the best shot to step up into what I need you to do and the best support and I want to see your strengths and I want to see um, what you bring to this school. But I also have this line that says here's the accountability of what I need from you. 
one of the things you mentioned there, which was quite interesting, was um, you know, they're having that conversation now, but they've they've done some work around ferocious warmth. Like there's there's kind of like a whether whether that particular person has bought into it hundred um, percent, but at least there's a, a shared language around what it is. They're not you know the leader isn't trying some magic voodoo, and people are sort of going, "Hang on, what's going on here?" Obviously, things like the book and 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 frameworks. To, is that is that a good start point for people? Well, yeah. yeah, get the book. It's a great start point. Um, but, but but in terms yeah. of talking about something else rather than talking about you. Yes, yeah. yes. I think so because what it does is it gets people to start doing the self-reflection. And I know mm. with that particular leader, she's quite aware because of what they've talked about that this person goes to that enmeshed side and creates drama mm. and all sorts of things. So what she does very cleverly is when they're talking about it, she says, okay, I can... You, you know, you're right up here. What I want you to do is I want you to go cognitive. So she gets her to go to her head. And this is something we talk about with ferocious warmth is if I'm erring too much to that relationship towards almost enmeshed rescuer side, what do I need to pull from from the cognitive side, the head side, to balance myself back up? Just as much as when I'm going too ferocious and right to the head and the cognitive, I've forgotten the people. Who do I need to go and sit down and just have a conversation with or how do I tap into my empathy to balance me? So what this this great leader did is she said, I want you just to write down what's happening and that enabled that person to sort of get that emotion out and get more cognitive to, to balance back up. So, again, yeah, having the language can be incredibly useful. Um, and, and I know there's a lot of leadership teams that will say to me, yeah, I, look, it was great because, you know, Matt came over to me, just quietly tapped me on the shoulder and going sounding a bit ferocious <laughs> you know oh okay right oh I'm getting a bit out of balance and what is it I need to pull in that's not to say that sometimes we need to be more ferocious or need to be more warm that's the whole art of this is understanding what the context the people in it the environment um the the outcomes we're after the purpose where we're driven by what that requires in that moment so We've, we've shared language. The book's got loads of reflective um, prompts in it that you can do either individually or as a team. Yeah. Where's the best place for anyone listening who's had their interest sparked by this conversation? Where's the best place for them to um, get hold of the book and find out more about you and how they can bring you into their organisation yeah. to, to get things moving? Fabulous. Well, they could go and have a look at tracyezard.com. Um, and if in the, um, in the bookshop, if you want to get the book, if you put in habits... Uh, then we'll set up a 20% off code. Uh, if you are from the education sector, I also have a Buzz Academy, which is um, an online membership space uh, for schools to build their professional learning culture. And uh, that's at um, www.thebuzz.academy. And it's got Buzz Byte videos, so 24 videos and over 70 resources for helping you build that strong learning culture. Well, we'll put... Um, those links in the in the show notes here so go and check them out and don't forget there that's that's great Tracy the special habits um, promo there yep. for 20% off yep. that's that's awesome yep. thank you so much for and that and I'd love to um, connect with LinkedIn with um, your habits listeners uh, as well yep. so LinkedIn is always a great place I think to to join and have great conversations around around leadership and other professional things Absolutely. So we'll pop that one, your LinkedIn profile in the show notes yeah. as well. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, Tracy. I've really enjoyed our conversation there. You're welcome. And it's just, I just love, you know, I know there's so much synergy between the way you see the world and I see the world around leadership. So it's been great to uh, uh, go blah with you. 
<laughs> all right well take care all the best and we'll uh, catch up soon thanks dan as i mentioned all the links are in the show notes and don't forget if you want to grab a copy with a 20 percent discount don't forget to use the code word habits at checkout now if you found that worthwhile as we always say there's a fair chance someone you know would find it worthwhile so please feel free to share it as far and as wide as you can in your networks and please also if you get a moment why not leave a review and give a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts don't forget to subscribe and if you want to learn more about our work find out about the habits of leadership academy or just ask us a question for an upcoming episode head over to habitsofleadership.com and click on the podcast page but until our next episode thank you so much for joining us take care take it easy